we're in the midst of Vayishlach, we're in the midst of the Jacob story, the Jacob drama. Um, what do we know about Jacob? Well, uh, we know that, yeah, we know that his name Yaakov refers to heel, which is another good cross-cultural sort of bad pun because he certainly is a heel in many ways. Uh, you know, he's a liar, he's a thief, things like that. Last week you weren't here, so you missed one of my favorite lines in the whole Torah um, last week, which is uh, when Jacob, uh, after stealing his brother's Esau's blessings, of course, you know, in the famous story, he realizes that he probably should skip town because um, Esau threatens to kill him as soon as dad dies. Uh, father who was allegedly on his deathbed for the, for the next 20 years because um, that's what we find out in this week's story portion. It's 20 years later and he still hasn't died yet. But last week, uh, Esau says, as, you know, as soon as dad dies, I'm killing you for what you've done, stealing the blessings and all that and pretending to be me. So Jacob... Uh, decides that discretion and fleeing is the better part of safety. So he, he flees off into the middle of the night, uh, goes to sleep with a rock as a pillow, and um, has this dream that's referenced in this week's Torah portion. He has a dream in which uh, God is standing next to him, next to this ladder, that famous Jacob's ladder that goes up to heaven, and angels are going up and down. And um, he wakes up, and when he wakes up, uh, he utters what is one of my most favorite phrases of the Torah, which is, Yesh Adonai b'makom hazev lo yadati, God was in this place and I didn't know it. That's the quick version of it. That He says, wakes up uh, and says, God was here. And where's here? Where's the place that God was in? I mean, where was he after all? That's not rhetorical. That's actually an actual question. So, where, where was he when this vision took place? Middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. Like, literally, in the wilderness, which, with all the connotations of fear and trembling and scariness and, and nothingness and ignorance and... Blind, you know, he's, he's in the middle of... He doesn't even know where exactly he's going to end up. He's in the middle of running for his life, frightened, and there he encounters God. And, of course, there's a slew of rabbinic commentaries about that. Um, but uh, one of the most obvious is, if you can find God in the middle of nowhere, you know, how much the more so, as we like to say in Talmudic terms called the Homer, how much the more so can you find God at, where there's somewhere? Right? Yeah. Could he have meant, or could you interpret it, God is here, like, inside me? And Beautiful. Yes, absolutely. So, God, where's the place? If the place was nowhere, there was no place. I mean, there was nothing there. He's in the middle of the wilderness. So the place is the place that he's carrying with him all the time. Like, even though he was this nasty heel of a kid, he suddenly at least had that moment of revelation, which keeps being referred back to, in a sense, of God was in this place, and I didn't know it. All I knew was the nasty kid I was who was looking out for himself all the time. And this is part of the, the life journey. It was literally his own vision quest 
after all, you know, the vision, he's on a quest, his vision quest to, to find himself in this journey, and he's constant. and in this week's Torah portion, we get sort of the, the other end of this, it's not the end of his life, obviously, since he lives a long life, although he doesn't think so, he lives a long life, um, what is 147 years, something like that, um, which would be long for us, but not so long for him, since his father and grandfather live longer. Um, the, and he says, I, Jewish tradition, the, the Talmud grabs on that moment and says one of the names of God is Hamakom, the place. Uh, of course, the Talmud says there are 70 names for God. So one of them is Hamakom. Uh, and that's like an ongoing challenge that we get from Jacob of discovering the places where we are open to encountering holiness. The places that not just to, to recognize that we are made B'Tselem Elohim in the image of God. And so this is always the place that if we look, we can find holiness and divinity. And one of the biggest challenges of life is that one, after all. You know, I, I always make reference to um, Leviticus 19.18, which uh, those of you who may remember that uh, Rabbi Cheryl Leward of Blessed Memory uh, used to have on her license plate, her license plate said LEV 1918, <laughs> right, uh, which is love your neighbor as yourself. So Cheryl always drove around with a love your neighbor as yourself <laughs> mobile. Um, but the the hook, the kind of irony of love your neighbor as yourself is so many people that don't love themselves, that walk around broken in bad ways, uh, and um, you don't want them to be loving you the way they love themselves when that's how they love themselves. You know what I mean? So I always uh, interpret love your neighbor as yourself as a commandment to love yourself first. Only then does it pay for you to love your neighbor the way you love yourself, after all. And, you know, I don't have to draw this out, but just look around the world from the top down, and um, yeah. A basic tenet of Reconstructionism, too, that God is not out there. There's a spark, a still, small voice in each one of us that is divine. Yes, of course. Sometimes it's hard to find it when you when you consider not only ourselves, but people who are yeah, the country, for instance. Of course. People. Well, people who will remain nameless. Yeah. He who will remain nameless. Right. <laughs> who knew that Harry Potter was going to be so relevant yes. to the world? Um, in any event, yes, absolutely. You, you know, this is the ongoing... I mean, that's, that's what Torah is about. Oh, Torah's over there. This is what Torah, Torah is about. Torah's over there, too. Isn't it nice to be surrounded by Torah <laughs> here? Um, in any event, yeah, th- th- wh- you know, what is this about? This is about, in part, our, uh, our own individual and collective as a communal vision quest, journey, spiritual journey, finding ourselves, finding ourselves in relationship to others. What does it mean to be me? How do I find the sacred? How do I encounter God? People are, you know, the, one of the great modern God questions is, if God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, etc., etc., well, how come God doesn't speak to me? 
I mean, people, people ask. <laughs> and one of the answers may be, you're not listening. You know, it's that famous joke story about sending the boats, you know, that everybody's heard a million times. You know, it's like, hello, wake up, you know. And it's what I'm always reminding people that uh, um, there's a reason the Jewish tradition says you wake up and you say what? You wake up and go, thank you, I woke up. In one language or another. Thank you for returning my soul to me. The whole notion is amazing anyway. Very mystical and Kabbalistic and, you know, that your soul leaves your body while you're sleeping, hangs out with God, gets rejuvenated, and then... um, as long as you're paying attention. And then um, longing for Amy. <laughs> and then um, and then gets put back in your body when you wake up. It's like, that's this notion. We're not the only ones that have that kind of notion. There are some other cultures too, but but we certainly do. That this is what the process of, of and that uh, every time you go to sleep, it's a little bit of death. The uh, Talmud says it's 160th death when you sleep. It's just one of the reasons people get afraid to go to sleep. Some people and they don't sleep. Um, this fear of what's going to happen when I close my eyes. But our notion is you, our souls are placed back in our bodies. We wake up and we go, gratitude. To have a lens through which we see the world is gratitude. That, and then we say a blessing over the physicality of our bodies. And if you live, wake up that way, begin the world the day, every day that way, it's designed, as our ancestors did, to transform the way you see the world as fundamentally an attitude of gratitude. Yeah, Judy. If I may say one more thing. You may. When I was, stu- when I was studying uh, at 16 to become a Jew, I studied with a rabbi who gave me a lot of books to read, and when I came back to talk with him, he said, so what have you learned? I said, Judaism is very simple. It is that there's some power greater than our own egos, than our individual selves, and you can call it what you want, and that you should treat other people the way you want to be treated. And he said, that's it. The rest is lace and adornment. But that's the essence. So we have here in this, we have the essence of Judaism being talked about here. Yeah. Why does Hillel put that in the negative? Do not unto others as you would not have them doing to you. Oh, Hillel had a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Uh, anybody? I don't know. I've heard it another way. Don't do unto others as you would like them to do unto you because your tastes may be different. <laughs> I don't know that Hillel said that. Oh, I might have meant that. Um, Anybody? What? What do you think? Mm, yeah. Uh, I've heard it put that he said, "Don't do what is hateful to you to someone else," and I think that people could relate to that much faster. What is hateful to you, perhaps, and then do you know treat others as you treat yourself. So you know, it's much easier to. First of all, that. yeah. I mean, there is there is no answer. No. I mean, there's no answer because none of us were there when he said it. So, you know, and he didn't explain. I'm saying it this way and not in the, and not in the positive way for a reason. Um, so it's all speculation as to why. And um, and mostly the speculation is along those lines that um, 
that it's uh, it speaks more clearly to people's motivations in life, um, and it's easier to follow uh, not to do things that you wouldn't want to have done to you. Which brings us right to domestic. You know what I mean? Abuse. I mean, it, it's an easier thing to remember. Okay, don't do that because I wouldn't want that done. Don't do that because I wouldn't want that done. And and if and if you do that. Well, it turns into the positive. Negatives and positive. Just like, you know, Judaism, uh, one of the most enigmatic parts of the Jewish tradition of the Talmud is the commandment to bless the bad as much as you bless the good in life. You are commanded to have, it's part of the whole gratitude conundrum. We have blessings over when bad things happen and blessings when good things happen. Um, which you would think is counterintuitive. You wouldn't ever want to acknowledge blessings. Why, why would you? Why would the rabbi say, "Bless the bad <coughs> as much as you bless learn the good"? From the bad, <coughs> do from the good. <coughs> Excuse me. Not always. First of all, for sure, you learned. <coughs> we call them growing pains. We don't call them whatever the opposite of that is. Um, and people tend to learn more. Tend to learn. At least the opportunity is there from challenges and difficulties. That, what else? Yeah. A wise teacher once taught me, and you're not always sure which it is. Ah, uh, the blessings and curses. Life's filled with blessings and curses, and you can't always tell which is which. So often in life, the things that start out as, in your mind, perceived to be blessings actually turn into the curses of life, and the things that start out looking like they're the curses turn into the blessings of life. Almost everybody I know has experiences like that. I got fired from the job. I got divorced. I got this. Thank I got God. that. It was the worst thing ever happened to me. It turned into the best thing that ever happened to me. You don't know it at the time. That's part of this journey. This is what journeys are. You know, Jacob had to flee for his life. And because of that, he got to grow. He got to experience. He got to end up with all these wives and have all these kids and have all these things, blessings, curses, and his life was definitely couldn't quite always tell which was which in his life. Several other hands were up. I was just, yeah. Yeah. I was just yeah. thinking of another um, negative thing that's left positively. When you hear that someone died, you say, you don't say, oh, it's terrible. You say, Baruch Dayan. Baruch Dayan, I met, yes. Blessed be the judge. <laughs> yes. That's one of the blessings you say when bad things happen, as a matter of fact, is Baruch Dayan, I met. <clears throat> Blessed is the, the God of truth, God of righteousness. Yeah, so another, yeah. Well, and hopefully you learn from these challenges and you grow stronger so that <clears> the <throat> next time <throat> a challenge appears, you are stronger and better able to combat and deal with that challenge. Can I circle back on that question about Hillel and love your neighbor as yourself? You can. Just in thinking. Love your neighbor as yourself is about how you feel. Do not do unto right. others Treat. is about how you act, right. and so that, that and they're not quite the same. And Judaism, I believe, I like it's that. more emphasis. We're all into doing on acting. <coughs> it's how you act, not how you feel. You get tzedakah whether you feel charitable or not. Went to the doing. So uh, one more comment on that, and then get back to the text. But you know, you're with me, so you're stuck with my stream of consciousness <laughs> teaching. Um, the reason that, from a rabbinic perspective, the reason you bless the bad like you bless the good is because 
it's all from God anyway. Life is. It's all from God. So, <clears throat> otherwise, you're into this dualism and duality as if you got your, your Zoroastrians or something, and there's a God of good, and there's a God of bad, and when bad things happen, well, it couldn't be God because God only does good things, so it must be the God of evil or something, or there's the devil, and there's God, or there's some kind of... And Judaism is much more holistic in the sense that uh, there's a famous quote from Isaiah, which, thank God for the good and the bad, the light and the dark. It all comes from the same source, you know, and it's all part of the whole of the shlimut, the wholeness of life, the universe, and we may have limited perception, so we only see, you know, it's like the elephant when people can't see and they're grabbing onto different parts and this is what the elephant must be. This is what the elephant must be, and this is what the elephant must be, because that's us, because <clears throat> we have limited vision. But the rabbinic mind ascribes everything to the source of uh, as God. So, <clears throat> therefore, there must be a blessing. Therefore, you know we have gratitude for all that life gives you, even when it's hard. There's lots of things that are hard in life, and. Loss is something that everybody experiences. There's nobody who gets out of this world without loss. You know, there's nobody who escapes pain. There's nobody who escapes sorrow. There's nobody who escapes suffering. And that wonderful quote from the priest at the Catholic Church here, grief is the price we pay for loving. Yes, that is so beautiful. Yes, and uh, and corollary to that is since we're talking about gratitude, well, I am anyway. Is that grief and gratitude are two sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. literally? Um, and and I'd say it at virtually every funeral at some point, <clears throat> talking, reminding people that that they only have grief because they have gratitude. They only have grief because they care or they love about the person. You just read a name in the newspaper that you don't know. You don't have grief about that. You may have sorrow about the state of the world, that wars are going on and that crazy people are out there walking into churches and schools and whatever and just randomly killing people, You know, which, of course, is a horrific thing. But it's not the same as grief for loss of someone that you know or love or care about. That's tied up with gratitude. Okay, in any event, so Jacob, <clears throat> we get back to the. Actually, can we get to the text eventually? Um, <clears throat> but just to tell you, because I love the Jacob story; it's so deep and intense. <clears throat> um, Jacob had uh, three firsts in the Torah. <clears throat> uh, he was the first lover in, in the Torah. You know. When Jacob first saw Rachel, went up and rolled that stone off of the, uh, you know, flexed his muscles and tried to impress her and did this whole macho routine and kissed her and broke into tears. There's this sense of true love, clearly look what he went through, for his love of Rachel and working seven years and then working another seven years and all this for her and, and in this week's Torah portion trying to protect her more than everybody else. Uh, as he's about to confront Esau, 
uh, with his 400 armed men and he divides his camp and then he puts Rachel and her son as far back as possible hoping that at least she'll survive if there's in fact destruction Um, number one number two is uh, he's uh, pretty much the first self-made man in the Torah although I would say Abraham was but uh, also that at least in this week's Torah portion oh here we're on I'm going to actually read have you read one sentence in the Torah won't that be exciting (laughs) so uh, you know what's happening right now Esau is coming Jacob has finally left Levan with all of the stuff that he his wives and children and everything else Um, and uh, so uh, verse 8 Jacob was terrified so anxious was he that he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps he thought if Esau advances on the first camp and strikes it the remaining camp will be able to escape then Jacob said oh by the way this is now the third first which is the first quoted prayer in the Torah of one of ours that is one of our ancestors is this one Eliezer kind of prays to this is when he says to God God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac Adonai says to me return to your native land and I will make things go well with you I am unworthy because God had just told him to leave in the last portion I am unworthy of all the proofs of mercy and all the faithfulness that you have shown your servant for I crossed this Jordan with nothing but my walking stick and now I have become these two camps that's the self-made man person part I, I crossed the Jordan this way with nothing but a staff and look at me now 20 years later I've got two camps worth of of riches of people and things save me I pray from my brother's hand from Esau's hand I'm afraid of him lest he advance on me and strike me <clears throat> mother falling on child yet you said I will make things go well with you and make your descendants like the grains of sand along the seashore which are too many to be counted which is a reference to the last week's Torah portion when they God makes a little promise don't worry I'll take care of you to Jacob who says I guess if you protect me after that dream you protect me and I'm able to come back safely to my house home which he does in this portion finally then you'll be my God it's a little deal you know let's make a deal um, <clears throat> which he does and so Jacob is referencing that so therefore we made a deal remember <laughs> so don't fail me now God <clears throat> which he's about to do Okay, so, um, and then the two powerful spiritual encounters in Jacob's life, the first one with the dream and the ladder, and God was in this place and I didn't know, and the second one here, um, which I want to read before we get to to Dino. So, verse 25, famous uh, second spiritual encounter, of course, uh, which is the wrestling match. Of Jacob. Now Jacob was left alone. <clears throat> Bless you. 
And a man wrestled with him until the rise of dawn. Uh, when the man saw that he could not overcome him, he struck Jacob's hip socket. That's how I feel today. Um, so that Jacob's hip socket was wrenched as the man wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go. Dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The other said to him, what's your name? And he said, Yaakov. He said, no more shall you be called Yaakov, but Yisrael. But Israel said the other, for you have struggled with God and with human beings and you have prevailed. And then Jacob asked, well, pray me now, tell me your name. And he said, why do you ask my name? And then he disappeared. Therefore, Jacob named the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. Peniel means the face of God. Yet my life has been spared. Um, Enough of that. Okay, so the famous Ish with whom Jacob wrestled. Who is this? We don't know. I don't know. I mean, I just read you everything we know about it. That was it. That's the whole story. One of those cute, cryptic Torah stories. When you say when you go to sleep at night, your soul rises to God. Interesting. He was dreaming this, and he was with God. Well, maybe he was dreaming. Never thought of that. <laughs> no, maybe Jacob... He's good at dreaming, obviously, so maybe he was dreaming. Maybe he didn't really wrestle with anybody. Maybe he was wrestling in his dream. And if so, being good Gestalt people, and he's everything in the dream, therefore, who was he wrestling with? Himself. So. Had to be wrestling with himself, if that's the case. What was, he, what was it about himself he was be wrestling with then? It's God's side. We come back to Reconstructionism. God is within us. Come back to Jacob being this. Uh, how much has he changed? He's about to re. He's about to confront once again who he was running away from 20 years ago. We 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 all know from our own humble lives how easy it is to be re-triggered by something from the past that we thought we left far behind, and all of a sudden, like. You know, <laughs> here it is again. <clears throat> and in so many ways, you can be re-triggered. Certainly, meeting up again with someone that you haven't seen since you were a child, or since you were in college, or since you were somewhere, <clears throat> or you know, I ran into my ex-wife not too long ago. <laughs> Retriggers lots of things, <laughs> all of them good. Um, you know. And then suddenly, it's like uh, next week I'm going to Sacramento for my father's 96th birthday. My My mother's 95th birthday was in September, so we're you know going up to for the day or overnight. And um, uh, I'm 68, and every time I'm there, I'm about 12, (laughs) sometimes 14 or 15. I'm definitely not 68 when I'm there with my parents and my sisters. It just doesn't work out that way. You know, 
My wife stopped going for a while, saying, I just can't handle you when you're like, you're a little boy. suddenly become like a this child up there. <clears throat> it was too embarrassing with my own child to be there becoming a child. So, you know, but that's exactly what happens to all of us. Everybody. You know, you slip back into parent, child, or whatever, sibling, you know, <clears throat> you become, you're like a different person. Well, that you're not a different person, obviously, but parts of us stay with us. We are. That's the other kind of therapy. All these therapists, systems that that you know, the, the child in you is always the child in you, and you're carrying your child around and trying to reconcile between your the child that's you and the parent that's you and the adult that's you, and making those fit for the right occasions and the right setting. And when you dream, you are all the characters. Yeah, and when you dream, you're everything. So. That's part of this struggle, part of this experience here with Jacob, our, our dreamer, who then bequeaths that dreaming thing to his wonderful son, Joseph, um, you know, who's going to be the dream interpreter. But Jacob, here he is. He's wrestling with this ish, all we know. Could be he's wrestling, obviously. The one, one of the obvious ways of looking at it is he's wrestling with himself. He's wrestling with his his Yetzir Tov and his Yetzir Ra, his good and evil inclination, all of the evil inclination parts, which were his childhood, his youth, his relationship with Esau, which was never good, you know, sell me your birthright, you're starving to death, stealing your blessings, I mean, like wrestling in mom's womb, you know, the whole sibling rivalry thing from before pre-day one, you know, pre-birth, all the way through to this moment so of course he had a little bit of angst about Esau's coming with 400 armed men to greet me again so could be that or what else yeah I was just thinking that he has two names and they're ultimately used throughout the Torah right. those are sort of the two sides of him going back to his use it's Yaakov fighting with Esau but he's also the father of Israel exactly good and bad yes he, he gets a new name he gets it again in this portion then God shows up first it was this Ish maybe an angel maybe whatever but then God God's self says the same thing in this portion it says I'm changing your name you know yeah uh, Ruben Rabbi has any special significance to the stranger saying uh, dawn is breaking what does that got to do with ah dawn is breaking well um Light is coming. Anybody know other uh, sort of folk tale In my church, references? Rabbi, I watch movies where uh, an evil uh, werewolf or whatever right. lost his power when they. Exactly. The light's coming. Is this, is this, but you, you know nothing about this stranger. So we don't have any, we don't know anything other than what's said. But we certainly know that in many cultures we have um, demons and river demons and river sprites and who, you know who when the light comes like they have to be hidden they, they, the light kills them the light takes their power away um, and clearly that's what's going on here I mean clearly he says the lights the lights coming I got to get out of here which is why. He made this, quote, deal essentially with Jacob. Okay, I'll, I'll give you the blessing. Let me go. Because the light's coming. So it's, it's a, 
It's a, almost a universal cultural reference to some power that's not human, totally, and that's with which you're wrestling. Um, there's a famous, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the the river sprite, the river sticks. Maybe that. Now there's a no, doesn't that's matter. Right. Doesn't matter. Same thing. That that when the light comes, you have to. You have, you have to get out of there. You have to let go. So that's that was the leverage that that Jacob had that everybody could relate to because whoever this mystery being was clearly had to get out and disappear before the light came. That was the leverage to get the blessing. We've spoken before about how many of the stories in our tradition that we read in the Torah have great corollaries at the yeah. other religions of the world. Yeah, or, we're, or folk tales or whatever. It's like, of, hello. Of that civilization. It's a reminder that human beings are the same. Right. That human and mind, the way we create the stories we write, we're storytellers. Right. We tell stories. We have experiences. Everybody's afraid of the dark. More people are afraid of the dark than they're afraid of the light. You know, so we have light and dark. It's And yet our stories usually have a difference. Noah is the last one we talked about, for instance, where Noah's surviving the flood was different from all of the other flood narratives that we read about in other cultures yeah. because Noah didn't become a god. He well, stayed a man after that narrative. Listen, the whole creation story itself. Yes, you know, I mean, right. other and cultures have... another one of those. Uh, human beings are created as, you know, slaves for God, the gods or playmates for the gods and we have a whole different take on creation itself. Um, in the Midrash, in uh, Midrashim about uh, rabbinic stories about this encounter, which there are many also, um, this Ish is portrayed in a variety of different ways because they also don't know, so they make it up the same way we are. Um, one of them was this was Esau's guardian angel wrestling with, it's like the pre, pre-fight, <laughs> the fight before the fight. Huh? Yeah, well, it's the pre-fight, you know. Esau's on his way. His angel went to take care of the problem first. You know, his guardian angel wrestling with with Jacob. And therefore, because Jacob vanquished his guardian angel, he showed up and acted the way he did when he got there. And there wasn't a fight. Um, There was that. There's some midrash that that refers to that. There was that. You know, it was some kind of evil force. An evil demon that uh, that was conquered, um, or the midrash refers to this like we were just doing, and it's Jacob's own conscience, or there was a fear that because he ran away from Esau the last time, maybe he was going to run away from Esau this time. Sent everybody ahead, and now I'm leaving. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, I gave him all these gifts. I gave him all. I gave him everything turned over everything to him and now I'm going to leave and so that there's Midrash that suggests this was an angel to prevent Jacob from running and forcing him to confront his past and stick around and be there that's why the thigh muscle that he then for allegedly limped for the rest of his life you know so he couldn't really run away it was like okay you're stuck you know face up to it um but we don't know, so it could be. But certainly, <clears throat> this blessing of getting a new name, I mean, you know, he's not the only one who got a new name in the Torah, obviously. You get a new name, there's some powerful, significant shift that takes place in you. And and with Jacob, as you pointed out, 
it's Jacob, Israel, Jacob, Israel, Jacob, Israel, the rest of the, his life. He's not, he doesn't, they don't drop Jacob. He's not always Israel, but he is Israel. And what I, what I, another what, thing that I love about this is, you know, we say Avraham Avinu, Abraham our father. We should say Abraham our grandfather, <laughs> because really we're all Jacob. We're, we're all Jacob. Jacob slash Israel is what we're called. We are all the children of Jacob. Those tribes, the children of Jacob. This community that became our people, the children of Jacob, slash called Israel in the giant, in the broad sense. So we're, this is who we are. Who are we? We're like flawed and struggling and flipping back and forth between our Yetzer Tov and our Yetzer Ra, our good and our evil inclinations inside all of us, the difficulty we have in holding to one path all the time, the best one, doing the right thing all the time, you know, and we fall back. And who would have ever imagine that Jacob, after experiencing Abraham and Isaac, and what happens when you show favoritism to a child, the dramatic things that meaning he had to run away and do all that he would do the same thing all over again. Got all these kids, and then there's Joseph, you know. It's like, what are you thinking? You're not thinking. Well, at least not with your brain. I don't know. You're thinking with some part of your heart, and it's overcome, overriding your brain. I love Rachel. I love her child. I love whatever. And, oh, you mean I have 11 other kids? <laughs> oh, no. 11 other boys? Oh, and there's a girl in here, too? Maybe there were other girls. We don't even know. Because, you know, the way the Torah is, girls are, women are, every once in a while mentioned. But certainly not in, in equal, equality with men to this day. That's where we started earlier with sexual harassment and sexual, all that stuff that's going on in the world around us. You know, that's the good news. And uh, to me, it's all good news. Um, that it's coming out and coming out and coming out and coming out and hopefully there'll be some changes in expectations of behavior. Um, you know, just remember, sexual harassment isn't about sex, ever. Power. It's sexual, it's, all, it's always about power. Um, as is domestic violence, as is, it's, all, it's about power, power things. Um, I just read a fabulous article yesterday, I think it was in the New York Times, uh, but it was one of those compilations of articles from places, so I'm never sure where they're coming from anymore. Um, it was co-written by uh, a professor at Harvard and a professor at uh, Tel Aviv University. The Harvard one was a male and the Tel Aviv University one was a female about uh, the one proven uh, best solution to sexual harassment challenges in the workplace, which is women equally. Promoting women to management. <laughs> Having more women in management in, in power positions. As soon as you have more enough women in power positions in any industry or any company or in any business, all of that dynamic shifts and changes. So, you know, it's like, it's like you know, when we read uh, the Torah, when we read the, the, not even Torah, when we read rabbinic literature about uh, men and women, 
and um, all the restrictions for women uh, in terms of talking or in terms of whatever the, how they're supposed to dress or restrictions against men being alone with women and those kinds of things that were part of that culture way back then it's always based on uh, the lowest possible um, expectations of men uh, well you can't be alone with a woman because obviously you men wouldn't be able to control themselves you, you have to cover your hair because it's way too exciting for me and I can't possibly control myself and whatever and all this stuff is presuming that m- men are the worst of themselves uh, uncontrollable and and driven by their sex drive alone and that that is more powerful than their brains and will always over overcome their rationality and you know and uh, it seems more and more true doesn't it it's like frightening but you know I mean that's the reason that burkas and all those other things from all these different cultures it's because not because of women but because of men really because of the the their perception and understanding of how men uh, can or cannot have any do or do not have self control um which and is isn't it tragically interesting that in sad. the Torah we uh-huh. never have women I shouldn't say never, but we don't often have women being told how to how to resist and how to stand up and demand. It comes so much later. Yes. So I did promise I'd say something about Dina. So let's go. So Dina is, is chapter thirty four. If you have got a green book, it's page one ninety. Um, this is the rape of Dina. Rape with a maybe question mark doesn't a question for me but there are those who question so the story is short and, and simple one day Dina who is identified as Leah's daughter for a reason Dina, Leah's daughter whom she had born to Jacob went out to see the women of the locality and Shem son of Hamor the Hivite the local prince saw her took her, lay her down and raped her it's fairly clear he was then captivated by Jacob's daughter Dina fell in love with her spoke tenderly to her and Shem said to his father Hamor obtain this girl for me for my wife at the time that Jacob heard that his daughter Dina had been defiled his sons were in the field with his livestock so he kept quiet until they came back Shem's father Hamor now went to Jacob to speak with him and meanwhile Jacob's sons had returned from the field when they heard the men were grieved and became extremely angry for he had committed an outrage against Israel notice the description he he committed an outrage against Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter what happened to her? it's like wasn't an outrage against her? no it was an outrage against her father that he had raped his daughter such things were not done. Hamor now spoke with him, saying, My son Shem has set his heart on your daughter. Pray, give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give us your daughters. And you yourselves take our daughters. Live among us. And the land will be before you. Settle and trade here and acquire property here. Shem said to Dina's father and brothers, Let me find favor in your sight, and I will give you whatever you ask. Exact from me bridal money and gifts to excess, but I'll pay whatever you demand of me. Only give me the girl to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shem and his father Hamor deceptively, speaking thus because he had defiled their sister Dina. They said to him, We cannot do this thing, giving our sister to a man who has a foreskin. 
for this is a shame to us only on the condition that we, this condition will be consent to you if you become like us by having every one of your males circumcised. Then we would give you our daughters and would take your daughters and settle among you and become one people. If you do not listen to us and consent to be circumcised, we'll take our daughter and leave. By the way, they didn't have their daughter. Their daughter was stuck with Shem at the time. He didn't return her. He kept her so far. Their words seemed good to Hamor and Hamor's son Shem, and the youth did not delay doing this thing, for he yearned for Jacob's daughter, and he was preeminent in his father's household. So Hamor and his son Shem went to the gate of their city, spoke to their fellow citizens, saying, These people are peaceably disposed toward us, and like us toward them. They will settle in the land and trade here. Plainly, the land is open wide on every side before them. We'll take to wife their daughters and give our daughters to them, but only on this condition have these people agreed to settle among us become one people, every male among us must be circumcised as they are circumcised, their livestock, their possessions, all their animals will be ours. Sounds like a good deal. <clears throat> What's a little foreskin in exchange for all of these animals? Let us consent to them that they may settle among us. All who went out to the city gate listened to Hamor and his son, because they were in charge after all, and every male, every able-bodied man was circumcised. And then on the third day, when they were in the greatest pain, the two sons of Jacob, Shimon and Levi... Levi, Dina's brothers, they were her full brothers, Leah's sons, each took his sword, went undisturbed into the city, and they killed every male. And they also killed Hamor and his son Shechem by the sword. Then, taking Shechem, Dina from Shechem's house, they left. Jacob's other sons went over the slain, and they plundered the city and took everybody captive who was left. His inhabitants had defiled their sister, taking their sheep, their cattle, their donkeys, and everything that was in the city, their wealth, their little ones, their wives, and all that was in the houses, they seized as captives in this spoil. Jacob then said to Shimon and Levi, you have made trouble for me by making me odious to the land's inhabitants, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, since I am few in number, they will gather themselves against me and strike at me, and I and my house will be destroyed. But they said, should he then have been allowed to treat our sister like a prostitute? And then God said, oh, time to leave. <laughs> Again. Go home. And he went home. Okay, that's the story. What do you make of that story? What deception? A lot. First honor killing. First and only. Yeah. Honor killing. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you think this Middle Eastern thing is like not about us? All this Middle Eastern stuff? No. Yeah. Honor killing. Clearly. And honor. The only thing they didn't do was kill her, which is what takes place now in other cultures, which will remain nameless. But you know, they kill the girl. Girl got raped. She brought she brought dishonor to the family. We kill her. It's like. What happens to Dina? That's the great question. Read the red tent. What, ha- what happens to Dina? Poor Dina. First of all, from Dina's perspective, let's assume she got raped. Dina's perspective, she got raped by this man who was then willing to marry her and make her legitimate in a world in which being an unmarried defiled virgin was not a good status to have 
in the world, made her uh, an undesirable uh, with no status at all. Had she married him, had they gone actually done that, at least it would have given her credibility and given her, you know, given her status in the world, which her brothers then took away from her by killing them, killing them all. Um, so, so what happened to Dina? Do we even know? Not from this. Not from this. We don't hear from her. So we don't know what happened to Dina. That's why we have people writing stories about it. Um, you know, poor Dina. She's like a... Why, why is this story here? Well, let's ask another question. The Torah is not an expansive storytelling document. It, it does not give it. It doesn't wax eloquently about most things. It's brief and short right. and whatever. So if, they st- if something's here, it's here for a reason. Oh, and somebody edited this, mm-hmm. after all. It wasn't just stream of, like me, stream of consciousness, whatever. If somebody edited the Torah, said this is in, this is out, this story we're keeping, this story we're not, for whatever reasons that we don't know, because obviously none of us were there, just like all the other conversations we have. However, there has to be a reason that this is here. Maybe. Could be. It could be. Uh, what else? Yeah. It could be exactly that. It could be on the positive side. You don't let somebody defile one of your. Uh, any of the women in your family, in your tribe. That is, it is the male's responsibility to protect those who are vulnerable, which is women and children. And avenge. You know, and if something happens, you don't stand idly by. After all, that's also in one of the things I put into a couple of times into the, what I passed out to you. The, you know, one of the most important, fundamental, key Torah values, also from Leviticus 19, is Lota al Don't stand idly by the blood of your neighbor. But then they um, turn around and do exactly the same thing. They. The, the Israel turns around and kills all of Amor's. Oh, that. Another manifestation of uh, Jacob's character. Mm-hmm. He, he says, "You made trouble for me." Yeah. Never right. mind all these people that were murdered. Right. But it's the dark this side. Is, of this is here for a lesson that you shouldn't let your girls go out walking. <laughs> 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 and to keep, and to keep them. In the control of their house, otherwise, yes, yes, happen. yes, I think that is. <laughs> the, the, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't think that's funny. That I mean, it's true, it's funny, but it's, <laughs> I, I think, absolutely part of part of what's you know, what are the lessons here? Lessons in the house, she went out on her own, she went on her own, unaccompanied, you know, put herself in danger, made herself vulnerable. But yes, I agree also. 
It's like, what does it say? It didn't say she went out looking for a man. She went out to check out the women. It's just like, this is not a document that is really good for women, necessarily. I mean, right? Right. So, um, we know that. This is like thousands of years old. So, it's not that not about the equality of women. It's about women as vulnerable, women as property, women as uh, you know, belonging to their men, belonging to their... The, I mean, look at what happened with Rachel and Leah and Bilha and Zilpah and Jacob, you know. It's like, okay, give me this, give me... No, all right, so I'll give me this woman, give me that woman, give me this. Ugh. You know, it's like that's the that was the way society was. We're still coming out of that. What do look, you mean was? That's why I say. We're still emerging from... How long ago was it that women were still... considered to be the property of their husbands in the western world how long ago what not very long ago how we live in a world in which still today there are places in the world where it is impossible for a husband to rape his wife because that there is no category of rape when it comes to husbands because they have total legal control over their wives whatever they do they do it's not rape it's just the husband deciding he needs to be sexually. <laughs> Two things sort of stand out. That one is that circumcision clearly was not enough to cure the problem. And the second part. The problem of lust? That problem. These are now our people. We're all one. Oh, that. And that's fine. You know, that, that we, you've solved the rape problem. But the second part, too, is it also shows Jacob's sons as looking at their father saying, you know, Dad, you're wrong. We can't allow our sister to be defiled. So Jacob, once again, is fallible here. Yes. And and one other thing about this, somebody actually mentioned when, when when the son said the act of raping Dina was an insult to Israel who is now theoretically this exalted figure notice who it is at the end who says to the to the boys oh my god you've made trouble for me blah 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 Jacob then said to Shimon and Levi so and so and so and right back into the Jacob yeah, right back into the Jacob and, and constantly playing back off of the the Jacob, Israel, Jacob, yeah. Israel, his higher self, and his not so higher self, his higher self, and his not so higher self. <clears throat> yeah, a couple more things and then time's up. The question with, with the destroying all the men and the concept now of proportional response. Proportional response. Yeah, that's always a tricky thing. Yes. Deciding what's proportional and what's not, what's appropriate and what's not. Uh, yeah. Just a quick question. In terms of the translation in the Green Book, in verse seven, it's the uh, it's an outrage against Israel. Yeah, yeah. And in the Red Book, it's an outrage in Israel. So, uh, so in the Green Book, there's the connotation that this is a personal thing, uh, whereas in the Red Book. So I guess, uh, and I don't, and I don't understand the, and I don't understand the, the Hebrew, uh, so as to what it actually says. It's the person or the people. Right. 
Well, actually, uh, I guess you could just interpret it either way. I mean, the Hebrew is Yisrael. Uh, I saw Yisrael. Uh, the bet normally is sort of in Yisrael. So, but this was a women's translation. So they, I mean, they, they chose it on purpose. I'm, I'm just saying they chose that that sense of it on purpose. Um, because it's you know Hebrew's ambig- so ambiguous. And which one does the women's uh, study against against, against. outrage against yeah. Israel right. by such thing? Navala uh, Israel. Um, so you know, and it's also this the, the, the editors of this knew, don't forget that Israel always had a double meaning. Israel was always the person and us. The person and us, because this was edited long after, not, not contemporaneously. So Israel is like it's like you're looking at this. Some of it is the person Jacob, and some of it is is a metaphor, in essence, for all of us collectively as a people, and and how we are. So yes, it was uh, an affront to us as a people, and it was an insult to him as an individual. So it's sort of sort of both of those things.